0: madeline slash renata i'm rebecca and i'm
1: a jane slash madeline
2: i'm Teresa, and i'm a jane slash bonnie and we're here talking about season two episode six of big little lies the bad mother this week we're dealing with a transatlantic recording situation so thanks for putting up with us in advance Uh, um, carolyn do you want to give us the recap
0: all right sure So we open on another flashback to that faithful night before tearing into this week's juicy action. Then Jane shows up at Corey's door to ask him what the fuck he was doing at the police station. He explains that he was called in for questioning because Quinlan knows that one of them will eventually crack. And Corey tells Jane that the first to crack will get a break, but the rest are fucked. So good news. Then, of course, it's back to the beach for another powwow with the Monterey Five, but things are starting to get nasty, and with the new heat on them, Madeline is cracking and lunges at Bonnie, viciously reminding her that she was the one who pushed him. In response, the women all start screaming their company line of, he slipped, as a desperate knee-jerk reaction. Things are really coming to an end for the frantic women in this coven. I'm beginning to believe that these women just can't be friends. Bonnie's just going to go back to doing yoga. Renata being a power hungry bitch. And Jane will just move to a different place and hopefully grow out her bangs. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. Madeline goes home and tries to talk to Ed like she used to. But he gets the unnerving sense she is hiding something again and asks why the hell she she and the women are meeting at the beach in the night in the night at the first place. So steady Eddie isn't as dumb as he looks. But why is he so fucking nosy? just go back to tending to your computers, you snide fuck. So this causes Madeline to rush off again in the night to Renata's now empty as fuck mansion to tell her that she feels it will save her disintegrating marriage if she tells Ed about that night. But Renata reminds her that they made a pact, aggressively lowering down her giraffe neck to put her face in Madeline's. At work, Jane is avoiding Corey, who is just being a Dick, making bitch jokes about her to the kids at the aquarium who really just want to see sea life and not relationship drama. In other awkward encounters, we have Ed and Tori Titz discover, discussing why they should just bang it out to get back at their cheating spouses. Tori Titz makes a strong argument and preys upon Snidefuck's desire to just be wanted. Back in Renata and Gordon's crumbling empire, Juliet, the nanny, has to leave because they can't pay her she and Renata in an awkward non-goodbye because Renata believes she will rise up and have the wealth required to employ this nanny again. But then when they're back in back bankruptcy court, the nanny stands up and wants $150,000 for her, quote, services rendered. This leads to an amazing drive home again with Renata and Gordon, where she says the quote of my life, which is, shut the fuck up for the rest of your fucked up fucking life and then shoves tissues in Gordon's mouth. Laura Dern wins the Emmy for best delivery of the most fucks ever. Now, the real meat of this episode, though, is Celeste's custody trial, where she must take the stand and painfully answer questions about her sex life, her ambient use, her alcohol abuse, the rough sex she may have enjoyed with her late husband, who she may also have killed. They have pictures of the men who she can't even name that she slept with and a court animated video of Perry falling down the stairs that may prove he had had to have been shoved. This is a total painful mess to watch, and I don't blame her for going home and chugging vodka. Jane's reaction to watching this court nonsense was that she will show up at Mary Louise's house and scream at her. This goes as well as you can expect. Meanwhile, in the hospital, Bonnie's mom, who appears to never be getting better, lays in a hospital bed while Bonnie journals and fever dreams next to her. She reads a painful letter to her mom in which she discusses the abuse, the fallout on her adult life, her possible hatred of her husband, and confesses to Pushing Perry. So we see that even before Pushing Perry, Bonnie had a lot going on, which we suspected, so no wonder she needed to do all that yoga. Back in court, despite the judge being prepared to enter a finding, Celeste says she wants one more witness who she wants to question. Call Scary Louise to the stand. Here we go. Let's land this plane from the turbulent flight. Bring on the last episode.
2: Dun, dun, dun. Um, All right, let's start with Fishboy. I don't buy Uh, it. Yeah, that's my question. He claims he's just being questioned but then starts trying to convince her to, you know, to crack. Do we believe him?
1: No. No. I, I don't trust him farther than I could throw his scrawny body. And I'm also very scrawny. So there's just no way I'm throwing <laughs> him in any sort of capacity. Mm-mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, also like what kind of detective calls in, A boyfriend. I mean, I get, like, but he wasn't around when this happened. I mean, I guess they're just, she's just grasping at straws. But also then, like, why would she reveal, like, one of them's going to crack?
1: Also, when he was walking out of the police station, it was with somebody else from the police station, and they looked Mm -hmm. very chummy.
0: They were very, very buddy-buddy. I went back and, like, watched the episode and really dug into that moment.
2: And why wouldn't he tell her he was being questioned beforehand? Right. Right. Like There's that's the so many.
0: Things... Yeah. Mm-mm.
2: Like if the, if a cop shows up at my door and tells me they want to question me about I I say why. And when they tell me it's because of something, you know, my boyfriend did, I'd be like, uh what do you do? And then I'd call him and be like, the cops want to talk to me. So I, yeah, this does not pan out. I think we're still on the cop track with this kid.
1: Also, like, who's taking all these pictures of Celeste? Like, somebody that's, like, close enough to the group to know Celeste's patterns, and who's been going out to the bars with Celeste? Jane. Mm, good point. Oh. So I, nice think point. He, I think he's a narc.
2: Yeah, uh, maybe, so I had assumed they'd hired a private eye. Ooh, I wonder if that's a possibility. If he's not an actual policeman, then he's he a, is a private eye. Or
0: the police is a private eye.
2: No, for Mary Louise. Yeah. Ooh, that's a twist. Oh.
1: Mm-hmm. We love a twist. Yeah, I think we've not seen that. I mean, otherwise, why introduce him into the plot other than, you know, like, okay, Jane's got a new boyfriend. And he's weird, like he's got to serve some purpose. And I'm still hung up on what happened to Tom. So like, if we're going to just ignore the fact that Tom came and went, (laughs) then there's got to be some reason for bringing this new boyfriend. in, other than like, you know, some new strange for Jane, like, yeah, and he's
0: also like such a dick, like early on, like he made kind of obnoxious comments to her. And then now when, you know, she's just trying to ignore him because she obviously feels uncomfortable around him and doesn't really trust him. He, like, makes that comment when he's, like, all right, who wants to touch something prickly? She's right here to my left. Like, ew.
2: Yeah, no, she should have picked up, like, a squid from that tank and hit him in the face with it or something. He was a Or at real- the
0: yeah. very least, like, gone to their supervisor and been, like, hey, so this coworker is behaving inappropriately.
2: And then he also... So he shows up at the beach later when she's just trying to, like, out there boogie board with Ziggy. Yeah. And... Like, just go away. This woman has been, has been raped and abused and you won't take no for an answer. Like, either you have a problem or you're a cop who, like, can't just go away.
1: Either way, like, get this man out of Jane's life. Jane has been through enough. Right? No. Yeah.
0: I just want to be like, Jane, honey, run. Like, he is not, he is not the man for you. Yeah. Really, though? Like, what happened to Tom? Like, are we yeah. going to just get no answer about that?
1: I am straight up writing to HBO if that's not addressed in this final episode. Maybe, listen.
2: maybe he'll show up in the final episode to, like, warn Jane. He'll come back from his plastic island in the Pacific and what? <laughs> Trash <laughs> island. <laughs> trash Good island. Good news. I fixed trash island. Better news. I'm here to save you from this utter idiot. I've got some coffee, and you don't have to talk to this dude anymore. Um... OK, so let's talk about yet another late night beachside meeting. Um, first of all, this is clearly the most suspicious thing that any of these women do, and they're doing it all the time. How is Quinlan not watching them at every single one of these meetings?
1: And now that it's been established that Mary Louise has been watching Celeste, I'm like, are we really so stupid to think that, like, somebody's not tailing Celeste to these beachside meetups? Like, yeah,
0: I was confused by that.
1: But this one was actually on the beach and not in the car. Like, at least when they're doing it in the car, I'm like, okay, there's some level of privacy. But this is just like they're yelling at each other in the open. Like, it may be at night, but, like, how stupid can you be to think people aren't, like, walking on the beach? Dumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They deserve to get caught at this point.
0: Well, it's like they say, every criminal reaches the point in their career where they just are so brazen that it's like they think they aren't going to get caught. I mean, not that they're criminal. Well, I mean, I guess in some context, but it does have that that kind of uh, that feeling like they almost want to be caught at this point.
2: Are you suggesting they're going to go into like berserker mode and start killing people uh, <laughs> just in the masses, like, I mean, like at Ted this Bundy? Point, I the end have his- no
0: idea. Like, I feel like we need
2: something to
0: happen. I don't necessarily <laughs> yeah. want them to go on a rampage. But I just feel I feel like something big is coming.
2: So we get Madeline, you know, yelling at Bonnie about being the one who pushed him. And it kind of seems like we're supposed to think these friendships are kind of fraying at the seams. Is this to make us think someone's going to crack or is it just a red herring?
1: I mean, I think that the the possibility of them cracking is certainly there, but I think what's more likely is the resolution we get in the book, and that is that Bonnie is going to confess. I mean, she, you know, all those moments where she was visualizing herself standing up in court and she wrote the letter and all that. I mean, I I would be surprised at this point if it doesn't end in Bonnie's confession.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think that, uh, you know, Corey revealing that somebody, the person who cracks first, will get a break. And then all these women just like kind of starting to tear each other apart and really feeling the pressure. I think that it is a bit of a red hair. Like I don't I don't necessarily think that uh, I, I think that Bonnie is the most likely to uh, to step forward. But I also kind of wonder if they are maybe going to just not that like something yeah. else will happen that will uh, supersede this. Maybe they you know. We'll I some- think
1: the motivation now is is Celeste custody hearing. I think if it comes down to a question of like, did you know, as as we saw in the courtroom scene where they did the like recreation that shows it, right. which that I Bonnie thought, you know, having spent kids. many hours watching CSI, I thought the science was a little sketchy on that, but <laughs> whatever. If we're gonna like, if it's gonna come down to is Celeste gonna you know lose her kids or not, I think that's gonna be the push that leads Bonnie, if not all of them, to reveal the truth about what happened that night.
2: Um, Do we think Madeline might just be getting a little sloppy because it seems weird that she goes to tell Ed about this late night beachside meeting where she's yelling at Bonnie, but doesn't have a story for why she's yelling at Bonnie. You know, she doesn't really explain what Bonnie does to push her over the edge. You know, like why did she think this was a good idea? Is she just, you know, starting to not crack so much as, Oh no, she cracked
0: is- up. One of the things I omitted for my recap because I wasn't even sure mm-hmm. how to like frame this. But like, what the fuck is she doing in her wedding dress? Was she drunk there? <laughs> like, there's like, nothing drunk. sadder than a woman who is not actually approaching her wedding wearing a wedding dress. <laughs>
1: I kind of loved that scene. I thought it was mm-hmm. kind of sweet and she's trying to, you know, do whatever she can. And I think she had too many glasses of wine and, and got this crazy harebrained idea that she was in her wedding dress that Ed might remember. I don't know. I thought well, that- it did
0: work for Ed. He says to her yeah. like that, you know, you can't major- wave a magic wand, but that's the closest you can get. So I don't know. I mean, for me, that scene was just like Madeline is just completely bonkers.
1: This well, as point, Bonnie says right. to her in the courtroom, she says, it's getting to you. And I really do think that of all of them, you know, we've seen them unravel in their own individual ways this season. But Madeline, who was always the most, you know, in control to some extent. and Oh, yeah. Because, Wearing you a know, wedding
0: dress, she can't even zip her up, spinning around in a messy bedroom, like drunk. That to me was, uh, that was just like a peak Madeline having a spin out. Literally. Yes.
2: <laughs> Um, so let's talk about Bonnie's confession. Um, we theorized last week as to whether or not we thought she was really confessing and we get a lot of, you know, trick scenes where it looks like she's confessing, but she's really just imagining it or dreaming or whatever. But, um, well, first and foremost, let's start sort of chronologically. We, we learned that Bonnie's mom is not getting any better and, bonnie straight up says to the doctor can we just kill her after daydreaming about smothering her Uh um it doesn't seem like a wise thing for someone who is actually struggling with having pushed someone down the stairs to be talking about in public but all right whatever but then i'm also sitting here wondering like i just i just want this storyline to end why did this woman have to be psychic at all because at this point it doesn't seem to have done much of anything to advance the plot it was seems to have been completely unnecessary she could have just as easily just been like oh clear you're my daughter i can tell you're struggling like was there any point to her having been psychic
1: i think the only way this is going to pay off is if bonnie ends up in some sort of drowning situation in the next episode Like other than that, like I just don't understand the need for having all of this water imagery, the psychic mom, the the touching and seeing her future. If that doesn't like actually happen, then that was Yeah, that was a
0: big red herring nonsense. Yeah, that's gonna be disappointing.
2: Well, in this episode, we also hear Bonnie's mom sort of say or like telepathically communicate. I don't really know. Um telling her to go toward the light, I think. Did anyone like, else see that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like swim towards
1: the light or like go towards the light at go the end of the tunnel. Go towards the light. I took that as one of two ways. It's either like, you know, when you're drowning, you're supposed to swim towards the light, to the surface, or it's the classic, you know, you go towards the light when you're dying.
0: I still think that Bonnie may not be long for this world. Uh, sadly. Well, I think the confession
1: about Nathan was really telling, like she's, you Mm -hmm. know, we haven't heard her actually articulate that yet. It's been, you know, sort of telegraphed in her behavior, but the fact that she considers herself in a loveless marriage that, you know, and she's got all this pain from her childhood, it almost seems like in a way, and her whole argument about somebody being in pain and euthanizing them, and you would do that to a dog, Mm
2: -hmm. why wouldn't
1: you do it to a human? Which, for the record, I absolutely agree with. Mm -hmm. It, It could be in a way that there is some peace for Bonnie in sort of surrendering and not swimming to the light and actually moving towards the light of death i don't know i i think the show is kind of heavily inferring that that's the direction we're headed in and it could be coming down to a question of like bonnie choosing life or death and she maybe chooses life after a struggle with it but i do think that she's going to inflict some sort of you know drowning upon herself and whether or not that culminates in her actually dying or culminates in her making the choice to swim towards the light and live i think that you know that remains to be seen but i do think that We're gonna get that scene next episode.
2: Well, if she jumps into the water with her Uggs and one of her heavy sweaters on, the Uggs will sink her down. I know whether she wants to get out or not, she's not going to be able to. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the actual confession now, where she tells all her mother all the things she resents her for, including like slamming cupboards and hitting her and making her feel unloved and her ending up in a loveless marriage. Although I would well no. what she says is that I married a man I don't love because Nathan clearly does love her. Um, And that she wants to beat the shit out of everyone, apparently, and then tells her mom that when I lunged at him, I was pushing you and the push was a long time coming. But she also says to her mom before she starts all of this, she says, I need to confess to you first. Which sort of insinuates that she's already thinking about there being a second confession. Do you do you think that's coming?
1: Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I don't think we're getting a third season of this show. Mm-hmm. I would be really surprised if that came to be. So someone's going to have to, like, there's got to be some resolution for the Perry plot. And I think that has got to be, you know, true to the book. And that is that Bonnie's going to confess. And it's not like Bonnie is going to see hard jail time. Let's be real. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: Um, And HBO has come forward saying that they think it is highly unlikely that we will get the third season. Uh, They're, of course, saying that it's because these are all highly in-demand actresses with very busy schedules. And they kind of stated that as the reasoning behind it. Um, I also feel like it is pretty much played out at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I do think, like, we just need a really strong ending. I am... I am nervous <laughs> I, yeah. knowing that this is the end coming up. I really don't know. Uh, I don't know how to, how, how, how to cope with what to expect. Um, and, and I'm not sure that there is going to be a resolution. I mean, life doesn't always have resolution, so I guess it will have to take what comes. But uh, I, I think that, I think that Bonnie is going to be a pivotal character for next week. uh, And we'll kind of maybe in that hold the fate of the other women.
1: And on that note, I do think Zoe Kravitz did excellent work this week. I mean, I, in terms of, you know, we could have a whole category for who did the strongest acting, but I think that Hearst reading that confession to her mother was really powerful and she, she did a lovely job.
0: Yes, for sure. I think that, as far as acting goes, that moment was spectacular. And Celeste sitting there in court, bringing her hands, her delivery, her face, everything uh, for Nicole Kidman oh, in those Nicole moments.
1: Nicole Kidman better get an Emmy.
0: I mean, yes. she she mm-hmm. really
1: has been this whole season and, and last season. I mean, so it's Emmy just career are highlight. Now, but
0: this show was not eligible yes. for this year's Emmy. So we have to wait a whole year. Uh, and I, I think that that makes it hard because they are just kind of in that timing that's uh, a little rough for... The Lucky Emmy-
1: for them, their cast is stacked, so I don't think it's going to make a difference. Probably I think they're, not, they're no, still but gonna... I think,
0: like, we will definitely, a year from now, be seeing a lot of this and revisiting it um, as we see a lot of Emmy nominations.
2: So um, let's move on to some lighter fare with Snidefuck and Tori Tits. Um, we get these two in a coffee shop where Tori tells Ed that he not only made her that she's a masturbation list and Ugh. a bucket list Ugh. and he made both of them like this, really <laughs> really tory tits i it's yeah i she's basically sexually harassing him at this point if she was a man and ed was a woman like someone would be calling the police this woman is deranged but this seems to be what ed needs in his life right
0: oh he's never looked more thrilled his fucking face at that moment, he was like, yes. Like, I feel like he came just sitting there in the coffee shop, just hearing <laughs> that he was, like, making this woman's list. Like, you know he's never been on a list before. No. Uh, that whole um,
1: scene was just so cringe.
0: By the way, I found out this week, I was talking to my mom and about this show, because I've gotten her hooked on it, and... Uh, She was talking about the actor who plays Ed. And she's like, I feel like I know him from something. And I was like, well, yeah, he was on Parks and Rec. And she's like, he just has a face that makes him uneasy to look at. She's like, he's easy to hate. And I have never felt more bonded with my mother before. So
1: this is genetic. It is
0: genetic. We are genetically predisposed to hate his fucking face. And I think that that's hilarious.
2: He's like um, cilantro to the pain women. Like, you you all think Ed tastes like soap.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> um. So I, I'm a little confused after watching this scene. You know, <laughs> at the end of the last episode, Joseph was in the bar watching them. And now he's nowhere to be found. And so I can't really tell what's going on here was like is he in on this? Is he like being like, Hey Tori, go do your thing. If it'll make you feel better about what I did. Or that's how
0: I reasoned with this because I, I kept being like, wait, is this their second meeting? And they did kind of allude to like, Oh, I didn't think you'd come. So maybe they had a first meeting and like, she made it very clear. Like, look, my husband owes me because he cheated on me. And he's, he said like, I can cheat on someone. She seems to be very hell bent on, uh, having an affair in revenge. So I kind of put together that maybe this was something that they decided to save their marriage rather than go to, like, some sort of hugging therapy that she could also have an affair. And she thought, well, just keep it in the family, I guess. The Madeline Ed family.
1: The whole thing just grossed me out. I, like, really wanted to pass forward through that scene. I didn't like that. It made she, me deeply uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, and it's... She... You know, she tries to make this argument that it's not about retribution, that it's about knowing you didn't just take it, but it kind of feels like, isn't that the same thing? I don't... Yeah.
0: in yeah. my like it's all about retribution. Yeah. Yeah, it's really... I don't know. I mean, and I don't know if this is something that we will get closure on in the next episode. I do feel like, you know, when he stumbled upon his drunk Madeline in her wedding dress and mm-hmm. she... Gave her explanation. He did seem to have that seemed to kind of turn a page for them on a road to recovery. So maybe he will think twice and be like, you know what? I don't need to bang Tori tits to feel
2: better. Well, I have some questions about that, because after rewatching it, I started to wonder if he had already slept with Tori. Oh, and, like we don't see it. And yeah, they could
0: but, have done it right there
2: in the bathroom. Yeah, exactly. Apparently that happens all the time around there. So, yeah. um, so is that what, and would that allow him to then be more open to Madeline dancing around in her wedding dress? What do you think? Interesting. I didn't pick up on that. Um,
1: I don't know. I don't think he's got it in him. I think no. that he would like to in his like, you know, machismo mm-hmm. part of his mind. I think he would like to fancy himself that kind of guy. But I, it doesn't strike me as somebody that is ballsy enough to do that.
2: That sort of makes me think of I, I sort of had the same thought about Tori. Like in the in last season, she seemed like someone's like sort of put upon beleaguered wife who was just kind of. Tr- kind of being like you know could you just leave me and my husband alone and now she's like a man-eater and it just seems like they've completely i mean probably no one would notice because she was in all of like three minutes of the show last year but it made me wonder if the show had like written her differently on purpose and if she was sort of had if ed was going to have a similar um sort of complete personality change since, I mean, we've already seen him be a dick in ways that he wasn't before. Um, I think that, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I knew that we were in for some Tori tits appearances throughout the season, that she would be a little bit more of a character when she just like materialized in the grocery store with her melons. Mm-hmm. And I think that, uh, I, I, I kind of got the sense, like, right away, I was like, oh, they're going to have this, like, flirtation this season. Uh, I did not see, you know, her having a masturbation list and all of that. I d- didn't see that one coming. But uh, I I don't, I don't necessarily see that. I think if they went through with it, I think Ed, I think we'd know about it. I think Ed, I think that that's something that they would have, I don't know. I don't think they did it. I don't think it's happened yet.
2: Okay. So one more thing about um, Ed, when he comes home, we've already talked about Madeline dancing around in her wedding dress, but she's dancing around to everybody wants to rule the world, which she says was Was their wedding wedding song.
0: song. What the fuck? They choose weird wedding songs, but that's a weird one. A cover of everybody wants to rule the world.
2: And here's the thing on Twitter, Reese Witherspoon says that they put a lot of, time and attention into picking that song.
1: I think it's great. I think Madeline is, like, definitely the sort of person that, you know, wants to rule the world and Ed's exercise of self-awareness in choosing that song.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could see it, like, working for them. It's just a very bizarre choice. I... I Although, you know, I do, I mean, spoiler alert to later when we talk about our favorite songs of the episode, I listed that as one of my favorites.
1: Yeah, me, me too. I thought that that moment, moment was great. I love the Patty Smith cover. I think yeah, you know, it was sure. memorable.
0: It, we've, we've said
1: this whole, you know, season that the music hasn't been as memorable as it was in season one. But, you know, that was a moment that I think I will remember to the season is Madeline in her dress with, you know, the back unzipped dancing oh, yeah, to the Patty Smith the cover. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But uh, yeah, I mean, this song was for this season one of the first times that a song uh, was a strong character for me. And whereas... it was
1: only about ten seconds of it. I mean, it wasn't like mm-hmm. we got anything longer than that. And the fact that it made that much of an impression without it being like an extended, you know, musical moment mm-hmm. just speaks speaks to me.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, uh, for sure, but. Uh, I was kind of struck by that being their wedding song. And I wonder what other songs they talked about. Uh, that would be an interesting playlist for them to release. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: tell us Reese, we should tweet her that.
0: Yes. Yeah. I want to know what other songs they considered. And if, if it was just her making the decision or if she talked to Adam Scott, like the director involved, like who, who were, who were the people involved in trying to choose that song and what were the other choices? I have questions. <laughs>
2: um, okay, so let's take a trip over to bankruptcy court for a minute. We'll make a pit stop there before we go on to custodial court. Um, first of all, I really appreciated that they had a guy trying to get paid for his Lionel train car after, you know, making such a big deal about Gordon's train collection. Uh-huh. I, I, I really appreciate That was some that. payoff. Thank you, HBO. Well, then,
0: and it turns out that HBO actually spent, like, I can't remember if it was thirty dollars or $50,000 on that train set for that scene.
2: Good God.
1: is, yeah. So, I'll put this on the gram tomorrow, but I'm currently in Scotland at my grandmother's house, and there happens to be an enormous model train set up here. <laughs> oh, so, man, I'm going to go get my baseball bat and, like, melancholically sit by the train.
0: <laughs> yeah, please recreate Gordon. I'll do it for school. the gram.
2: Yeah, If you can get one of your little cousins to come in and start screaming at you to sell it and like recreate that whole scene, I'd really appreciate it. That will not be hard to do. (laughs) So then we hear from Juliet, um, who wants seventy two thousand dollars for her regular wages, which is like. How much is she owed? Have they not been? I, I mean, that sounds like a year's salary for a well paid nanny, right? So, like, have they not well, paid her for a year? That is the
0: severance pay that she cites earlier when she's doing her tearful goodbye. She talks so about do
1: nannies get severance pay? pay? Like, do I need to become a nanny? Because, well, I, mean, I more guess than I make the
0: kind of contract you have, but yeah, I mean, some of these some nannies do set that up where because they have committed for like x number like a year or two years with a family if mm-hmm. something happens and that in the family is the one who terminates for various reasons you could get a severance pay that would pay you the salary that you aren't getting uh so yes i think that that is plausible
2: so then we get what we are really here for which is 160 grand for stress management um and you know we've all, in the book Juliet and Gordon have an affair, and we've been wondering if it was coming, and it finally did. How, how did you guys feel? About it, it finally came,
1: but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I loved how it finally came.
2: Mm-hmm. It was
0: subtle and it was sneaky, and it was at the worst possible timing, and that was brilliant. Because if And it was a really nice thing because if you had read the book and you uh, knew about that affair that happens in the book and you kind of were waiting for it or thinking, will they touch upon this? The fact that it was just kind of like thrown in there in this totally chaotic uh, scene and episode, like it was just awesome. To me, that was a great, a great little insert. Perfect. I appreciate
1: that they didn't at all once ever say like they had sex. Like it was, right. you know, and
0: I did think I kept thinking like, oh, there something's going to come out because when she's doing her tearful goodbye and like Renata is hugging mm-hmm. her, Gordon is just sitting there on like, you know, whatever crate they're using to sit on in the living room at this point. And uh, he just kind of doesn't he's not even acknowledging or making eye contact. And I was like, that's awkward as fuck. That means he fucked her. And uh, then lo and behold, you know, we get that information for sure.
2: So, Rebecca, you started mentioning that they don't actually explicitly ever say what happened. It's all sort of innuendo. And one of the things I'm sort of realizing as I sort of patrol the Facebook groups about the show is that people miss a lot of stuff like uh-huh. it's, when it's not spelled out for them. People do not get it. So I think it's pretty interesting that they choose to really take a to have like a light touch with this particular thing.
1: Yeah. And then Renata's whole thing, like really the nanny, like, you know, it's it's the oldest cliche in the book for somebody to bang the nanny. So I think like without having to put that in such explicit terms, it made the scene all the more powerful and all the more Renata, like Renata is not going to sit in this car and like go through the sort of details. Not in a way that Madeline would like Madeline would want to know, like, where'd you do it? How many times, like, was she better than me? And like, mm-hmm. Renata's just like above it all. She's like, this is just so beneath me. I'm so grossed out by you here. I'm going to shove a tissue in your mouth. Like it was just perfect.
0: Charles. Yeah. The tissues in the mouth, just, that was an amazing, that was like an amazing period to put at the end of this sentence. And Laura Dern's delivery of these lines, like, it was with just saying the word fuck, like, at least, like, what, like, 15 times in Mm -hmm. three sentences? It was, and, I mean, she used it as, like, a noun, an adjective, an adverb, a verb. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. it was just brilliant. Uh, She just, to me, like, that, her expression of rage, this was, like, her ultimate, the ultimate undoing. Like, in her mind, at least, you know, this, this would be just that final kick, right? Like not only is your husband a total like hard, who has ruined your station in life, but now he also was cheating on you and you find this out publicly like, Oh, the burn. Oh, the burn. And her, her explosion there is, so brilliant. Like, well done, Laura Dern. Well done.
2: All I could think is that her Emmy reel is going to have to be heavily bleeped. Like, like there's almost yeah. no scene in which we really love Renata in this episode, or, or in this season, where she is not cursing like a sailor.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. But, I mean, honestly, put yourself in her place. Yeah, I, I don't you just disagree. be, like, using that word just... Everywhere. I would just be exploding that word. I'd be like walking up to the coffee counter at Starbucks and just
2: blurting out fuck to them. <laughs> so do we think Renata is finally going to leave the scumbag or what?
1: I hope she ends up exactly like in the book and she takes Amabella and goes to London and lives her best life and starts <laughs> over.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, For Amabella's sure. already got a European ass name. They'll fit in great.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's French. Um. okay so let's get to the meat of this let's get to custody court um oh brutal so first we so I. this is sort of apropos of nothing but there's a point where you know Reese Witherspoon or um, Madeline is really apologizing to Bonnie for the fight they had in the parking lot and Renata comes up out of nowhere oh She's my god angry at having been like frisked at security again she says I know how you feel it's like they put us on a list and it seems like she's talking directly to Bonnie and making some sort of racial profiling joke that was was my
1: favorite line if we're doing favorite lines this week that is my favorite (laughs) line Renata just being like well I totally get racism now like oh there must be on a list I'm like this is everything yeah
2: I mean this might be the show's high point in dealing with like race relations and just being like look Look at this dumb liberal bitch who, like... is saying such stupidly insensitive things.
1: Yeah, this is the first time I feel like it's actually, like, poked fun at itself and exercised some self-awareness with the show's racial problem by, like, just mm-hmm. explicitly having Renata completely miss the mark and say something. And, you know, and to Bonnie's credit, Bonnie really not reacting because this is something that I'm sure she's not the first time somebody said something like this to her, where they are like, oh, I totally get it, honey. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm on your side. I'm a good liberal. I actually it's had excellent. to rewind
0: it and double-check that I was, like, hearing it right because I... <laughs> I I just started to laugh, and I was like, "Wait, maybe that's not what they, but that is what they meant." And I loved that. Uh, I just thought, like, "Oh, wow, are we being that self-aware?" So I that was that was a great, it was a great little interlude.
2: So we get to the court, and there are a disturbing amount of people just sitting around and watching the proceedings all day long. Like we've got the rest of the Monterey Five, but then there's a bunch of old people sitting behind Mary Louise, one of whom looks weirdly like Anthony Hopkins, (laughs) and I'm just wondering who the hell these people are, and why they just hang out in family court all day long.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was wondering the same. I was like, wow, they really went ahead and got a lot of extras in this scene, and I don't think they needed them, because, I mean, family court does not really get a big audience, I thought, but then maybe because they're the Monterey five and it has gotten some attention in this area. Maybe people were showing up for the spectacle.
2: I would actually think, I would actually think that family court would be closed because there are minors involved. I would
0: think that it wouldn't be
2: open to the public, but I'm not sure about that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't speak to that level of legal knowledge because my legal knowledge all comes from watching law and order SVU. Um, so I don't, that is a law degree that does not make, but that's a good point that it could be closed because that But I, I mean, regard it, it was there. It is a very packed courtroom.
2: And among the people sitting around watching is detective Quinlan because she doesn't have anything else to do. Well, Apparently, that's not there's no surprising other
0: to me at all. I feel like because anything that is said in this court is, is they can use in the criminal, in a criminal trial.
2: Correct.
1: I mean, yes.
0: I
2: Yeah, <laughs> Again, I don't know. I, unless I don't know. it was
1: a closed case, which it's clearly not if it's open to the public. then it has got to be public record.
0: Right. So and I mean, and that's the whole thing that they were all freaking out about at the end of episode five was that now, you know, this is going they're going to have this hearing and she's going to be on the stand and she's going to have to. None of them can lie under oath and because they're they're testifying. You know, if they're called as witnesses on her behalf and Celeste having to speak. So obviously it, it was obvious to me that Quinlan would be there.
2: Well, so. All right, let's let's go back a little bit and let's um, start with like. Um, you know, Celeste's Dirty Laundry being aired for everyone. So Basically, we called that. I know. <laughs> and. We and it sort of settled a thing because I think last week we were debating whether or not the guy in the bathroom stall was the bartender, but no, there's um, there's definitely type, that's
1: for sure,
2: yeah, tall and handsome as fuck, yeah. um, as and, she should. Yes, and but so the faces of the rest of the Monterey Five watching this is just, I mean, it's a master class in acting, like. They look so horrified, and I don't know if they're horrified for for her or by her. What do you think?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're horrified that their friend's dirty laundry is being aired. I think they're horrified because they didn't think that Celeste was, you know, this promiscuous – I think they're you know it's it's everything. it's like i I mean, I just was sitting there thinking, what if this was one of my friends sitting here and I was having to hear all about their like sordid sex life and mm-hmm. it's in a custody hearing for their children. I mean, it's an appalling situation, you know, as Madeline says to her after like you've got to get back on the stand like you can't let that just be the last thing they hear like this is does not look good for you so they're horrified because they know that their friend is in some deep shit now and they're horrified to hear like the dirty details of their friend's sex life and think like god celeste really has been getting after it and she's clearly not well you know i mean that was the other thing i kept going back to during this whole quorum thing it's like celeste really does need more help than she's getting like you know this is not a cut-and-dry case where we can completely say, like, we should be 100% on Celeste's side in this. Like, Celeste is doing sketchy shit. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I I mean, it, exactly what Rebecca just said. I mean, can you imagine, like, if I had to sit in a trial and, like, look at pictures of every dude that one of you was had fucked and that you couldn't even name mm-hmm. them or – I mean, I I would be awkward. It would be so awkward. And and plus just knowing everything she's been through and knowing what is on the line here like that. And I'm not trying to like,
1: let's Celeste, like Celeste can bang as many people as she wants. But the fact that like it's the way it's been going, like in bathrooms, it's been violent. It's been impulsive. It's like, you know, she's being risky with her physical health. It's not just, you know, she's not practicing safe sex. So, you know, Celeste can bang whoever she wants, but she's not doing it in a safe way.
2: And it's not clear she even knows entirely that she's doing it because so much of this is under Ambien, right? Like, she doesn't seem to remember it. And so there's a real consent issue going on here. Right. And it's not even really their fault because she seems to be a functioning human being and how are they supposed to know she took Ambien, but we don't, but she doesn't know when there's someone in her house. And so we also get this story um, of Josh trying to wake her up in the middle of the night or trying to get into bed with her, finding that there's a stranger in her bed and trying to wake her up, but she won't even wake up and he's the one telling the kid to go back to bed. Like, that is disturbing. Did that disturbing. happen
1: or was that a hypothetical? Because I was confused about that. Like, what I don't are... think
0: that that happened. Yeah, so do I. I think that that came out in either when when the psychologist talked mm-hmm. to the boys or maybe one of the boys had said something at some yeah, point. Okay. Uh I mean I,
1: to me, the biggest thing was like you know she's says all the stuff in court, how she's doing better, she's not taking the ambient anymore, blah blah blah, and then she goes home and pounds like six straight shots of vodka, and yes, it was a stressful thing, but it's like Celeste, you know. Mm-hmm. The stakes here, like, they could breathalyze you if they wanted to. Like, there's so much stuff. It's, but you know- she
0: does stop drinking. She, like, is sitting there, and first she, while she's, like, or standing there having the drink, and first she, like, visualizes her and Perry. And then she kind of visualizes some of the other men. And then she does, like, she dumps the rest of the cup in the drain and puts the vodka away. To me, oh. that was at least a little bit of growth. Like she was thinking, she's thinking through things and yeah, she did that to take the edge off, but she's saying like, all right, I did, you know, I had my, you know, I took a couple of drinks here, but I'm gonna, I, I need to like man up and not, I, I can't like flush my life down the drain here. So she does pour out some and keep, you know, and, and seem to know how to put a little bit of a stop onto this. I saw that as like a more empowering moment than we've seen
2: her have. I had a specific question about this because I sort of picked up on the same thing as you. Like, she stops the drinking, but then the next morning we see her getting ready, and one of the first things she does is put eye drops in. Yeah. And so I was wondering if that's supposed to suggest that she still got drunk, or uh, well, she's also she probably crying herself to sleep like at night. Four shots. Yeah.
0: Five, yeah. <laughs> Four so,
2: shots
1: in the cup and then took a couple big swigs out of the bottle. So right, I didn't take exactly. that so much as growth as that, like, she's reached her goddamn limit. I'd be yeah. on, in the hospital if I drank that much vodka. And yeah. she's a tiny little thing. Like, it's exactly. not like, you know. I have
0: to say, like, that alone could have been enough to make her wake up and be a little bit. And also, like, she was probably crying. So I kind of saw that as, like, yeah, she had those couple drinks. She was crying, like, trying to, like, get the red eye out. Um, so I was willing to accept at face value that she did not continue her
2: bender the night before. So um, back at back in the courtroom, we saw um, Celeste sort of specifically address the court and, you know, Hannah, Judge Hannah Horvath's mom, uh-huh. um, and she finally sort of. Um, Explicitly calls Perry a monster, which I thought was kind of interesting because for two seasons now, you know, we've seen Perry playing the monster with his boys and talked about it as sort of foreshadowing. And I'm wondering if you think it—I thought it was maybe almost a little too on the nose at this point.
1: What do yeah, you think? yeah, I did too. I, it's like you know, so we we're calling back to all these scenes mm. where we've called him this before. Like we get it. Like Perry's a monster that has been, you know, explicitly stated in these flashback episodes and in season one so like what is the point of her articulating that in those terms and to me it undercut a little bit some of the complexity of the relationship you know she's I don't know I, I I thought it was on the nose and I didn't love that that was probably the weakest moment of all of it for me
2: um so I uh Ira Farber Madeline or Mary Louise's attorney straight up asks her, "Have you ever pushed your husband down the stairs?" And because he frames the question that way, she doesn't have to lie, Uh right? Yeah. Which Which I thought was very interesting. And but then he plays this computer reenactment, and my first question my the first thing I thought because you know he says if he had fallen this is where he would have ended up but this is where he ended up and the only way he could have done that is if someone pushed him but um, my first thought was like well someone could have accidentally like he could have gotten a shove or something during the struggle without anyone really pushing him you know it's It's sort of uh, well-established that he's in the middle of fighting five women, and, like, the idea that he would get an extra little push down the stairs doesn't seem that weird to me.
1: I mean, again, it all goes back to this, like, they didn't do anything wrong. It was completely Mm -hmm. self-defense. It's not like Bonnie came up behind Perry with his back turned and pushed Mm -hmm. him down the stairs out of, you know, nothing. So, like, why they felt the need to lie and go through all of this, I still don't understand. And that's why the book made a lot more sense that they would initially, you know, after like two days, Bonnie would be like, yeah, this is stupid. I'm going to confess. It seems like there's just like, they're making so much out of what is relatively nothing. And we've seen self-defense cases all the time where somebody, you know, I don't know. I, I find this whole thing like a little ridiculous at this point, that they're not just confessing, especially now that Celeste's kids are at stake and I think again like this is where we've got to be headed like it's just if this doesn't end in a confession and Bonnie getting some community service or Bonnie you know dying mm-hmm. I, I'll be confused
0: yeah that's what I'm saying I'm really like nervous about what is gonna happen because I I feel like that is the resolution that we have been building towards and that I now kind of want but I wouldn't put them I wouldn't put it past them for there to there to be a a twist and for us to like kind of be left in want making us all those wanters that Mary Louise (laughs)
2: Um, there are a couple other things that sort of stood out to me during these courtroom scenes because they're actually over the course of like three days or something there's like three different days Um, one is that we see Celeste sort of worrying at her own wrist you know, she's kind of, like, wringing her wrist where we've seen bruises all season long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we've sort of assumed this was from all the strange rough sex she was having. But it actually seems to me like now this is, like, something That's she's to herself. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Although I knew and that too. And I, but then I didn't see... Uh, any like marks on her I thought they were showing us that because she was going to be rubbing herself raw or like causing a bruise but we didn't actually see that Uh, so then I was like oh okay it's just that like nervous fidget like um see I took it more as like
1: a self-consciousness like covering up trying to like cover up her wrists Mm -hmm. because there were bruises on there from like the sexual violence
2: well, the, the therapist asked her, right, if she was doing it to herself. Yeah. And yeah. so I kind of took this as confirmation that she was. And, and, I mean, so
1: I guess you can, like, press your wrist hard enough to make it bruise. I guess that is something, I mean.
0: I mean, I could, like, brush against something and I get a bruise. I bruise like a piece of bad fruit. Um, so I I – she could definitely be if I like press on my wrist hard enough right now, I'd get a bruise. Interesting. So, Cause I just yeah.
1: sort of saw that as like her like self-consciousness, like without necessarily being aware of what she was doing, like protecting her wrists because she's, I don't know, had this abuse. Yeah.
0: I thought it's like almost like a nervous thing, but there was a part of
2: me that for a second thought, like, is she inflicting?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, I, I took it as a nervous thing that she does when she's stressed out and she's stressed out all the time now. And, and it could so, be just
1: inadvertently causing harm,
2: right? She's not yeah. she's not intentionally self harming, but this thing that she's doing is causing these bruises. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, I also was really actually quite impressed with Judge Hannah Horvath's mom. Um, I yeah, thought she was I a, loved the
1: judge. She was great. Yeah. So often yeah. you see in like crime dramas, like a terrible judge is like corrupt or on one side or the other, but this judge really like seemed like a legitimate, like, fair and accurate portrayal of a child custody judge. Agreed. Like, she she was concerned about the kids. She was concerned about what she was hearing about Celeste. But she was also, like, clearly getting the fact that Perry's a monster, that Mary Louise is a straight-up psychopath. Like, none of that got past her. And it's so frustrating sometimes when you have a new character introduced that doesn't feel like they've caught up. Mm-hmm. And you've got that dramatic irony, which I I kind of hate dramatic irony to be honest. I like it, it annoys me, and I'm like, okay, please catch up, get up to my level. And she seemed to like be wise to all this stuff, wise to Celeste's shit, wise to Mary Louise's shit. I loved how many of the lawyer things that the objections she sustained, mm-hmm. like you always get in courtroom stuff. They're like, I'll I'll allow it, I'll allow it just for like dramatic purposes. But she sustained more things than she overruled, and I thought she that did. was great. I noticed
2: that too. Um. Is she, I also thought she did a really wonderful job of sort of drawing out the important things from Celeste, right? Like Celeste felt like she could talk to her and she had a good understanding after years of being a family court judge of, you know, what abused women go through. And she wasn't just like a moron who just fell off the turn, turnip truck and doesn't understand any yep. of this, you know, I thought, she, yeah, I thought she did a really good job and I hope she's not going to let us down. Me too. I have faith in her. Yeah. So, um, the episode ends with Celeste telling the court that she wants to call Mary Louise to the stand. And, um, and then we get Legally a hilarious the same
0: <laughs> Yeah, but I think that this is how, I, I think that it, this, she knows that she'll have her under oath and she can finally get some answers. And we'll we'll
1: finally get some answers, yeah. About,
0: like, Perry's childhood, Perry's dead brother.
1: And I think Uh, this is also going to be the conduit to allow Celeste to, like, get back into the law and, like, reclaim her life that Perry took away from her. Because let's not forget, Perry's the reason she stopped practicing law. So I think, like, part of what we're going to see, too, is Celeste, when she gets back in that, like,
0: legal position. if somebody doesn't step up and be a defense attorney, I'm going to want Reese Witherspoon to bust on a pink suit and be Elle Woods. Because, like... I am getting so stressed in this trial. <laughs> like I want I I did anyone else think that did anyone else just like want Reese Witherspoon to like bust out in Elwood's for them
2: Twitter, Always. Def, Twitter definitely does. There are a lot of Elwood's memes going around in relation to oh, good. this I season. haven't
0: I have not uh I didn't get to watch the episode uh because while I had escaped New York City for the blackout, I managed to have a 12-hour blackout in Connecticut on Sunday, where, where I was, so I did not get to watch the episode, so I had to avoid the internet for, like, 48 hours.
2: Oh, I see. Yeah. Um. So, did anyone else just love Mary Louise's face in the very last scene of the show? Yes. Oh, I mean...
1: Yeah. I, as we've said a thousand times, like, just get ready to give all the awards to Meryl Streep. Like there's no even need to like have an award ceremony. We just can, even for this year, they can just send her an Emmy and be like, you don't need to show up next year. We
0: good. Yeah. Meryl Streep can do more acting with like one facial expression in a one, three second shot than most. I've said it before. Like she could do it with her necklace. She can do it with her face. It is just unreal. And that face said everything. And also, like, I kind of wanted one of those, like, cheesy, like, dun-dun-dun soundtracks mm-hmm. to pop in.
2: Um, and looking back on this now, so we had all this drama last last episode about all the other women being put on the stand and all of them being questioned. And then they all showed up in the courtroom, but no one actually got put on the stand. Is anyone else confused? Yep. I think we m- <laughs> maybe we'll see that next week. It would be
1: interesting to see like you know a lawyer especially because dennis o'hare i thought did great work this week too dennis o'hare like a, a montage of him like questioning each of our characters and how you know i'd love to see like madeline martha McKenzie versus ira like that would be yeah. fantastic it's, yeah, I, people what so they if want to
0: get that though i kind of took it as since the because the judge came in and said that the uh the psychologist talking to the children and Celeste, like she, the the paperwork, it was non-conclusive. Didn't she say that, that all of that? Yeah, so she I'm wasn't talking, happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like that meant that she was going to expedite this more and they would just talk to Celeste. And well, she,
2: well, what she, she says at the end, before Celeste jumps up and says she wants to interview, she wants to put Mary Louise on the stand, she's about to make her ruling. Right. Exactly. And so exactly. I assumed other than Mary Louise, that's it. This is over. I, yeah, I don't I know why yeah. any of them had to be there. Um, I mean, it's also nice that with, they showed up to support their friend, but. Sure.
1: Mm-hmm. Also with like all of what we want to see of this next episode is going to have to be three hours long. So we probably won't right. get that. Yeah.
2: Um, and, you know, they clearly think that Celeste is the one who pushed him down the stairs. And I don't know that Quinlan really has Bonnie in her sights, except that during some of the courtroom scenes when Bonnie's looking very worried and upset, Quinlan's giving her knowing glances. And so I think the idea was to get Celeste on the stand, ask her the very direct question of, did you ever push your husband down the stairs? And then watch the reactions of the Monterey Five. Yeah. And she can can answer no without perjuring herself because she so clearly didn't she was on the ground being kicked in the stomach like right so i don't know i i kind of think that bit of the tension is over like these other women aren't going to be put on the stand and no one has to say anything um but with that let's talk about the previews Uh um we get a few things that stand out here one we hear celeste saying that the lie is the friendship between the Monterey Five. So is that, um, you know, we've s- sort of started to see the relationships between some of them fray and start to fall apart a little bit. Do you think we're going to get more of that yeah. next episode?
0: For sure. Although, also, that can be something that, as we've seen, that it bonded them together. It yeah. It could keep them bonded. I mean, do you ever have that friend that you are friends with just because you both hate somebody else or something <laughs> else?
1: <laughs> no, but I think that that's a good point. I think the experience is the thing that is caused, you know, they maybe were friends to some extent in like a passing superficial way in season one, but... This experience has made them actual friends that really have each other's backs. There hasn't been much backbiting. We, there's been some tension, obviously, we've seen, like, especially this episode, tensions are wearing thin. Some of
0: that is, like, the, the fact that they're right. literally in a situational right now.
1: But in terms of, like, talking behind each other's backs and, like, getting into petty cat fights and all that, like, we haven't seen that. We've seen these women, like, having each other's backs. We've seen them you know, go, especially, you know, Renata has done a complete 180 and has been, like, a really wonderful friend to all of them and hasn't been super selfish about her interests, yeah. even though she's had a lot of shit going on. So I think that, like, Celeste saying the friendship is the, the lie is more like the friendship is based around that lie and that lie has enabled them to become friends, and now that friendship
0: is the, the truth. And I think at the end of the day, this is a show about the about friendship among women and women supporting each other so i think it would be a very i I think it would be almost uncharacteristic for this show and the women who created it for them to kind of part ways uh although i also don't want to see another like you know beach scene of them all just living it up on the beach together oh you think we're we're getting
1: out of season two without another beach montage guess again
0: <laughs> i am hopeful i don't need that to come back full circle i i kind of i think that it, it that you know a lot has changed for these women and i think that uh like some of them will probably leave town and i think like they you know their friendships will change because of that because i think some of them will move on in their lives knowing that that's going to be a good choice for them like we were saying about like I would love for Renata to get out of here and get away from Gordon
2: so I'm going to kind of disagree with you guys a little bit because I actually think we are going to see some more falling apart of the friendships made here because I don't think they're that close you know Bonnie especially is still very much on the outside of this group except for her relationship with Jane Jane and Bonnie seem to be genuine friends but um, no one else has really been there for her in, unless it's, uh, you know, um, benefits them in some way. Hmm. And then um, with Renata, even though Madeline seems to have finally, I think Madeline is genuinely sort of taken to Renata because they both have the same level of drama going on and they it can just, energy. Yeah. But I'm not sure that, you know bonnie or even really jane and maybe just i mean celeste has gone to her for legal advice because she's so clearly the one to go to um she knows everybody but i don't know that most of them actually like her i mean she's a complete nightmare most of the time she's just screaming at people all the time so um i actually think we might see see some uh disharmony among the monterey five um Because we also hear Reese Witherspoon um, saying in the previews, it's eroding every single one of us, which was in the previews for the entire season. And I think we're finally going to get that line next week. Um, So I, I don't know. Do you guys have any predictions about what that means?
1: I mean, I I, I'm intrigued by this theory. I mean, Mm -hmm. it would be an interesting conclusion for a a show that has been based around, you know, it's a very strong cast of Mm -hmm. female actresses and really been centered around looking at female friendship and all that to have it end with them going their separate ways. And it might be, you know, more refreshing to see it that way, because sometimes, you know, relationships come and go depending on their necessity in the moment. And this idea that you know, friendship is everlasting and all that is kind of played out in cliche. So I'm intrigued by that. I think it's an interesting thought.
0: Yeah. Like I said, I mean, I think that their lives are evolving right now. So I think that while they will have, they will always have this connection and they'll probably like stay in touch. I think that a lot of them are moving on either physically or mentally into like a different place. Okay. Uh, and they aren't going to have that, like that bond of you know they aren't going to have this like immediate desperate bond anymore
2: so i want to give you guys my prediction for what's going to happen in the last episode and then you can react to it or give me your counter predictions okay okay um so i think we're going to get mary louise on the stand we're going to find out that um Raymond, her son probably died somehow in her custody, which makes her obvious, obviously like a suspect um, guardian for children. Right. And maybe the father also died in some very strange way, Um, which and since we're not getting the rest of the women on the stand, but Bonnie so clearly seems like she wants to confess to me. But also, if Bonnie actually did confess, then her, it seems like the burden that she is bearing right now would be lifted. And we've been led to believe that Bonnie somehow ends up drowning at the end of this, right? uh uh-huh. So, what I think is going to happen is that she, they are somehow going to find out she wants to confess. And even though this would not have been a big deal had they told the truth from the beginning, at this point, I think... There would actually be some pretty serious charges because it's it's making false statements and obstruction obstruction of justice and obstruction of justice. And I think everyone at this point would be facing some pretty serious jail time or consequences of some sort. So I think there is a possibility that someone. Does something to Bonnie like push her her off. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going out on a limb here with this, but that is my theory. I like it. Mm
0: -hmm. So my theory is pretty similar. Uh, I, I also think that in getting Mary Louise on the stand, there's going to be a lot of stuff that gets unpacked there and that a lot of it will incriminate, uh, Mary Louise as, you know, the suspicious character that we've always gotten the sense that she is. Um, I also think that there is a chance that Perry's father was abusive to Mary Louise and that kind of like made her become the, the way that she is mm-hmm. and that that will kind of be this like lesson to Celeste to kind of get her life under control and get herself under control. I agree that Bonnie, I have been saying for a while, Bonnie is in danger, whether it be from herself or others. Uh, for just so many of the reasons that, you know, we've had these predictions of her drowning her own stress and also, uh, you know, the, the impact and ramifications of her coming forward and confessing would just be disastrous for all the other women. Uh, so I definitely think like Bonnie is is, is in trouble. Um, so I I mean, like I said, I mean, mine, I'm pretty much all along the same lines as you. I'm going to go with, like, I think that that's where we're headed. But I also have this, like, sneaking suspicion in my gut that there is, like, some sort of twist that we just are not. I think that we're going to get blindsided. And I would love to be able to know what that is. But I I rack my brain and I can't. The only things I'm coming up with are so outlandish that, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just bizarre. Like, we've been talking about where is Tom? Like, maybe Tom was the secret agent all this time. And, like, he's going to come forward and know everything. And well, you're,
2: everything. you're not alone because I've seen some people in the Facebook group saying things like um, – Perry's body is missing. Well, I, I don't know. I don't yes, know. and
0: isn't there like Shailene Woodley came forward saying that there's something in the final episode, right? I feel like that's a
1: classic. Like, Maisie Williams did this on Kimmel, yeah. too. She said that, like, Aria dies in episode two and that didn't happen. So yeah, I think that's well, a classic yeah, plan.
0: can't trust anything that happens yeah. here. But I'm t- I, I think that there is going to be... I think yes to those predictions and... Uh, yes to something that we didn't even see coming.
2: Rebecca, can you take down our our predictions? I honestly feel pretty good about both of those. I also think it could end up being
1: more benign and therefore more disappointing.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think sometimes this show, when you think it's going to pivot into drama, pivots into you know more of a subtle introspective moment. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't get another beach montage with everybody, happy families on the beach. (laughs) If that
0: happens, I'm going to pivot right out of the room. Like I do not want that. I
1: I don't want it either, but I wouldn't be surprised. Like I, so I'm, I'm going to tentatively play devil's advocate, even though that's, this is the exact opposite of what I want. Like bring on the drama. Like I would love it to go like totally crazy and weird, but I, I do think we might just be treated to another Agnes Obel montage at the ends i don't know we'll have to see and i think a lot of this depends on if they are at all entertaining a season three or not like if this is going to be the end of the whole series then you know we're going to get the resolution i think we need if they are planning to leave the possibility open for season three then you know potentially it does end with like a bonnie bump off that's unsolved and we have another murder though i do find that like you know, that's a little formulaic at that point They're like, okay, now it's another Who Done It
2: mm-hmm.
0: for
1: season three. I don't know. We'll see. I'm very I
0: intrigued. Think a I'm excited. Cliffhanger, I think a cliffhanger or a lack of resolution is definitely something that I'm uh I'm bracing myself for. Because even though they say there will not be most likely a season three, I think that this is the kind of show that doesn't want to wrap things up too neatly.
1: Because, I mean, why would they? I mean, it's HBO. If they can get all these actresses back in, you know, their scheduling is aligned and all that. Like, why wouldn't they want that? HBO is, you know, just. And also HBO
0: is like, I mean, we've gotten endings from HBO before that have been. Less than satisfying. I mean, I I I don't watch Game of Thrones, or I didn't watch Game of Thrones, but I heard like that. Not
1: ready to talk about it. Oh yeah. (laughs) Meanwhile, I'm
0: still stuck on the Sopranos ending.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you know, HBO has just surpassed everybody else for Emmy nominations. Like they need content, they need to keep churning this out and. keeping up that momentum and let's be real like content is everything content is king these days so I just don't know I I think it's going to really depend on if they HBO the execs HBO think there's a, a possibility to turn out a season three then we're going to have things you know kind of left unresolved if they've had confirmation from the actresses that you know this is not going to happen again we all are busy the end then yeah, I, think I it's th-
0: contingent on none of that I think it's literally just I think they're going to end it where they would end it and they will decide from there. Um, I honestly think that it has no, uh, I think it has nothing to do with like scheduling or anything. I think that the ending is most likely going to, I think it would have fallen the way it would. And then they'll make choices. Um, but I, I am totally prepared for, uh, next Sunday watching this and just being like, what the fuck?
2: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. So this week um, I'm I'm going to jump right into best worst person here because we're really pushing the outer limits of time at this point. I think uh, <laughs> we're going to be losing some people, to, especially Rebecca, to falling asleep.
1: I know. I'm um, at 1209 in my
2: time and I am mm-hmm. like
1: struggling. <laughs>
2: um, so. My pick, yeah, I, I'm going back be, back and forth between Ira Farber, the attorney who just shamed Celeste into oblivion, and Tori for being the most horrendous, lecherous people in Monterey this week. And I think Bonnie is showing some serious growth this week, so she might be the best person in Monterey. Rebecca, what do you think? Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm definitely going Tori for the worst. She's just so unnecessary, and, like, her whole, like— masturbation diary is gonna haunt my nightmares for the rest of my life so <laughs> definitely Tori for me for worst um I don't know best I think a lot of characters showed some growth this week i I loved you know I, I'd say Renata every week if I got the chance to season I mean she's just been killing the game and the stuffing of the tissue is gonna go down as easily one of my favorite moments of this season. Um, my other pick would probably be the judge. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I think the way she's handled everything for being a character that was just introduced last week, um, it's outside of the realm of what we're used to with TV judges. And I thought it was really refreshing and I thought her treatment of Celeste was lovely and also her concern for the kids. So I'm gonna go with the judge. Carolyn.
0: Yeah, so, uh, Tori Tits definitely and her list. Are, are the worst in Monterey this week for me. Uh, best, you know, Jane, like, showing up at Corey's house, showing up at Mary Louise's house. Yeah, Jane uh, crushed Jane's it. showing up this week. And I I feel like Jane has kind of taken a bit of a backseat in some ways this season to all these other women for me. Uh, You know, like, Renata has just reigned supreme with her. Mm-hmm uh ridiculous behavior and celeste is just dripping with drama and jane you know has had all these like pivotal plot moments but for me has not really like stepped up in this in a in a real powerful way and i've been questioning a lot of her choices because i really hate this Corey loser so but this week jane for me uh
2: she she, she won me over this week so for best for best outfit, I'm going to go with, um, well, I have two picks. There's Celeste's white courtroom number yeah, with, like, the scalloped sort yeah. of mock turtleneck is gorgeous. I love also,
1: the like, the virginal quality of it. She's like, I'm going to wear mm-hmm. white to look like a saint, like, oh, Celeste.
2: Yeah. And then um, Bonnie's hospital confession sweater just yeah. looks super comfy to me, and it's something I would actually wear as opposed to Celeste's white like, are we going to get, like,
1: the Bonnie Times Free People collection? Because Free People, you are missing <laughs> out if you don't release I that. I mean, I that they collection. are just
0: dressing her in Free People, right? Like, They're doing, their-
1: like, Draper James is doing, like, the Madame- Madeline Martha McKenzie line. Like, Free People has got to step it up. This is a classic money scheme.
0: Yeah. Um, so, for my- me,
1: it is – oh, sorry. Go ahead, Carolyn.
0: Oh, no. I was going to say, like, it's definitely that white dress that Celeste wears in the first day in court for sure. Um, but also like in worst stuff, Madeline wears this like blue tweed suit. And we talked about the other week when, uh, Renata had that like impeccable tweed suit on. And this was just like Madeline's, it it just was like this like gaudy bright blue tweed. And I was like, Madeline, what are you fucking wearing? And then she put on the wedding dress and I was like, now what are you fucking wearing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I didn't love that wedding dress at all. Boxy. Um, for me it is hands down Renata just casually like saying goodbye to her nanny in a full like sequin halter top and in like voluminous <laughs> white no a-line skirt. I'm like, "Yes, Renata, please give me everything I need every single week. It's just yeah. giving me my life."
2: Um, you guys have already sort of answered this a little bit, but what what was your best song of the episode? Yeah, I'm going with Patty Smith, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and also, uh, because I do love a good uh, moody song, uh, Until You Came Into My Life by Anne Peebles. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah, I liked that
2: one. I'm going to, uh, this is great. We've all got different songs. I'm going to say the uh, It's Over by Roy Orbison, which was over oh, the yeah. credits. I mean, yeah. you, nothing gets. Can't beat a little Roy. That's what I'm saying. Um, all right, let's do recommendations really quick. So
1: mine really quickly is an Instagram endorsement. Um, Jake G. Thompson on Instagram. It's Thompson, T-H-O-M, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N. You can tell I'm getting tired. I can't even spell and I'm looking right at it. Yeah. He is a Big Little Lies content creator that these does these hilarious like 20 second videos after each episode or a few days after usually. It's actually pretty much in time when we get the podcast out spoofing things that have happened from the episode prior. And it is just hysterical hysterical I mean really really funny so you should give him a follow and uh check out his videos because you will be cracking up
0: so that's hilarious because I was gonna also endorse that because oh classic been following him and uh truly enjoying and then uh on on that note when I was going to also endorse something on Instagram that is fun to follow uh, a thing called my therapist says, and it's, Oh yes. uh, So good. Yes. So go ahead and start following that and uh, enjoy and enjoy the, the,
2: how real the
0: struggle is.
2: So for me, I'm going to go a slightly different route and um, hearkening back to the suspicious, stare reenactment from the courtroom scene um there is a show on netflix called exhibit a and each episode looks into the sort of dubious nature of the so-called forensic science that we've come to um sort of take for granted that we always think, you know, it's science. It must be true, but a lot of it is much sketchier than we think. And I haven't gotten to any stair, you know, fall recreations yet, but I'm sure it's coming.
0: All right. Awesome. Also, I think that, uh, I'm going to come up with some sort of, we came up with a really fun cocktail to Mm -hmm. kick off the season. Um, and I feel like I need to create (laughs) some sort of alcohol to take in the final episode so, uh, yeah, other than just box wine, that seems sad. And I'm worried that I'm going to end up sad anyway. So, um, I will, I will come up with something that we can all drink to cope with.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. And so on that note, um, follow us at Big Little Pod on Twitter and at Big Little Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And we're going to say goodnight so that Rebecca can go to bed. Thank you. I'm so tired. I'll see you all. Uh, Go to
1: Oh, you know, I already did, baby. <laughs>